Your marketing is all over the map, but so is your messaging. Unfortunately, most people have enough people in their database, sphere of influence, and phone numbers that if they knew what to say, you would convert an extra one to two deals per month, easily 10 to 12 deals per year. The challenge isn't, I need more leads, I need to do more. The challenge is just stopping analyzing your business and say, wait a minute, I'm a salesperson. What skills do I need as a top salesperson that I have never gotten? Hey, welcome back to the RE Agent Podcast, the number one real estate agent podcast in the world. I am your host, Coach Vikram Deal. Today is a solo episode, and I can't wait to jam with you. So without further ado, let's go. So there's something that Cody and I have been talking a lot about lately, and it's something that I've heard a lot of people down the road, a lot of people in the past say, and it's a lot of things that I would say when I started selling Cutco Knives at 17. I would get these lists of people, right? These names. And we'd have these three ring binders or we'd have, actually it was the spiral notebooks and we would line them up and we'd flip the pages and we'd line them up, we'd flip the pages. And to me, those all represented potential clients that I could help, right? I knew I had a product that 99% of the world would benefit from. I knew that I had a product that, people would see value in. And I knew I had a product that was trustworthy and had a really good reputation. So I saw on my list of referrals, I saw potential clients. I saw people just like my mom. I saw people like my grandma. I saw my friend's parents there. I would actually visualize what Mrs. Jones looked like based off of who referred me to them and then the qualifying questions that I asked about that individual. Now, fast forward, has that helped me or hurt me? Well, let's, let's find out. I believe that because I humanized those names at a young age, I believe it made, one, it easier to call them. I didn't see them as an outsider. I didn't see them as somebody who was, you know, rich or this or that. I just saw these as people that I could help. And I would visualize based off of the name what they looked like. So if it was like a Hispanic name, if it was Rosa, I would have envisioned our housekeeper, right? Because I loved her and it made me easy to call because she was always there for me. She was like mom number two when my mom wasn't around. She would cook for me. She would clean for us. She would do the dishes. She would do our laundry, right? She did everything. She was my mom. I love her, right? I humanized her. So when I would see a Hispanic name, I would envision her. If I saw an older name, I would envision my grandma, right? If I saw a man's name, I would envision the person who I knew that cooked a lot, the barbecuer, right? Like the, 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 the manly man that was always on the grill, right? Which was one of my uncles. I would start to envision everybody. I would humanize those names on the page. Why? Because if I humanize those people, I would call those people. And I would see them as people that I wanted to help, which made me come from a service versus a sales, right? It made me come from a service framework, not a sales framework. When people would come into our store and we sold uh, cell phones, same thing. We would buy advertisements, we would get leads in. And sometimes it was our responsibility to call those leads. And other times it was the responsibility of that person that saw the advertisement to come in and 
take advantage of the of the offer we were having. But we always collected information because we'd always do callbacks. And when we called back, we started doing sorting questions without even knowing, right? We would ask them like, uh, this was back when the iPhone was with AT&T and not with Verizon. So if we had the BlackBerry, they had the iPhone. And so we would call them and be like, hey, you know, we, we know you wanted, uh, we know you're looking for a new phone. Um, we were just curious, did you already upgrade your phone or are you still with, did you change carriers? Or are you still with Verizon? We didn't want to mention the iPhone, but we'd ask them if they changed carriers. Like, no, not yet. We're, we're still on the fence. Oh, what are you on the fence about? Well, you know, the iPhone is like this new and great and technology, blah, blah, blah. That's all the hype, but they're really expensive. There's not a lot of deals out on them. And they're only with AT&T who we don't get great service at our home with, but our family really wants these iPhones. We'd ask them a series of questions and 50% of the time they went with the iPhone, but 50% of the time those people came in and upgraded their phone with us because they realized that, Hey, having a cool phone was less important than having a phone that actually worked at your house. Kind of a no brainer, but we had to bring out the pain and help them see that they were potentially making a bad decision. And so it was better to stick with us right? Not everybody felt the same way. Some people were okay having crappy service, but having a cool phone, whatever, it's cool. But we got more business in that would have probably gone somewhere else because we were part of their process to solving their problem. So fast forward, are you treating your prospects in 2023 like a scary boogeyman that's on the page. Oh my God, I got to call these people. Oh, they're going to be mad. Oh, they're going to yell at me. Or are you treating them like humans that have a problem that you have a solution to and you can help? I believe, unfortunately, most people look at leads as like this weird human that we don't want to talk to because they're mean. Like, what is your vision of the people you need to follow up with? Like, just pause for a second. If you're driving, obviously don't close your eyes. But if you're not driving, close your eyes. And tell me, when you think of the people that are in your database, in your CRM, do you think of them as like friendly, collaborative individuals that want you to help them? Or do you think of them as like adversaries, people you're going to have to argue with, people you're going to have to fight with, people that you're going to have to, you know, combat to get your point across? How do you vision, right? How do you view in your mind the people that have reached out, raised their hand, showed up to your open house, giving you their information. How do you view those people? Do you view them as the friendly couple that you're just so excited to help out with their first time purchase? Do you see them as your parents that are downsizing from their house that you guys all grew up in and went to college, but now it's just too much house, too much yard. So now they need to downsize. Do you, do you view these people like that? Or do you view them as like, this scary human that's going to yell at you and scream at you, right? One of the challenges that we have as real estate agents is we don't possess the skills to follow up, right? Very few real estate agents, the national average is 1.4 attempts. The national average is that you will make 1.4 attempts after your initial conversation to try to get a hold of this human being. Why don't you make more attempts? You know that it takes seven conversations, 34 attempts to get those seven conversations. You know the numbers, right? The numbers are there, national averages. 
So if you're just average, it takes you 34 tries to get a hold of the people seven times to have an appointment booked. Why don't we do it? You also know that if you eat less sugar, eat earlier in the day, you'll probably not have to change much in your lifestyle, but you'll lose a little bit of weight because of that one choice. You know the results are going to be there, right? National averages. You know they're going to be there. Why don't you do them? Well, I'll tell you why I didn't like to do a lot of follow-up. I didn't like to do follow-up when I didn't know what to say to the prospect. And I've been on the phone, ring, ring. Hey, uh, Bob, hey, it's, um, it's Vikram with XYZ. And um, yeah, I'm just calling because uh, you told me to follow up with you in 90 days. And they're like, oh yeah, we're not interested. Oh yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're going to put it on hold. Oh yeah, the, the market's too hot. Oh, oh yeah, we're not sure if we're going to just stay in this house or buy something new. Well, yeah, that's why I'm calling. Because remember, you said to call you back in 90 days because you weren't you weren't sure what you wanted to do then. Well, well, why don't we sit down and meet and um, I'll tell you about how great my company is. And what do you think they said? Oh my God, that sounds great, Vic. We really want to know about how great your company is. Or do you think they said the exact opposite, which was like, we're not interested. We're still checking on the market. We're still going to see like, you know, we have to talk to our friends and our family. But we have to we have to call our our dog, dog sitters aunts, uncle, puppies, sister, brother, and lost father, right? Like people will give you these weird chains of who they need to talk to in order to help you. They're like, wait a minute, like who's buying the house? You were like nine other people. Well, when you don't know what to say, unfortunately, your follow-up kind of goes out the window. When you don't know what to do, it kind of makes it easier to look at these people as a threat versus a human. When you are confused about the process or you don't have a process, you tend to follow no process, which is, oh, I'll follow up with them here. I'll follow up with them there. Right? Everybody says we need more marketing. Everybody says we need more marketing. Okay, great. Then they do the marketing and they get the leads. And guess what? The leads suck. Okay. We do more marketing. We do more Instagram. We do more YouTube videos. We're out there doing the thing that everybody told us we need to do and we do it for 90 days and we don't get any results and YouTube sucks. I'm not a YouTuber. I'm not an Instagrammer. I'm not a Facebooker. Okay. And then you try to do the open house strategy and you know, you have a great open house and you do one and you get like 10 people. Oh, this is great. You call five of them. Four of them say no to you. One's like, ah, I'll meet with you. And then they don't show up. Oh, that jerk. Open houses don't work. Why? Well, I put a lot of work into that open house. I was there for two and a half, three hours. I had to put signs out and I called all the people back. Well, I called half the people back and out of the half of people that showed, one person said they'll book an appointment and then that person didn't show up. This is horrible. Your marketing is all over the map, but so is your messaging. Unfortunately, most people have enough people in their database, sphere of influence, names, and phone numbers that if they knew what to say, you would convert an extra 10 to 12 deals easily per year. You would convert easily an extra one to two deals per month, every month. The challenge isn't, I need more leads. I need to do more. The challenge is is stopping analyzing your business and say, wait a minute, I'm a salesperson. What skills do I need as a top salesperson that I have never gotten? Has anybody in your office worked with you extensively on tonality and how to have different tones, how to stop being so aggressive. Has anybody ever talked to you about 
maybe using a different tone when you start the conversation versus has anybody talked to you about how your tone shifts from the start of a sentence to the middle of a sentence to the end of a sentence? Has anybody told you how your cadence and how fast you ask the questions could be triggering a negative response? Has anybody worked with you on the questions that you're asking extensively so that you're asking questions that don't trigger the prospect to want to hang up on you? Has anybody talked to you about what you do in your presentations, right? Let's be honest. When you do a listing presentation, you walk in, what do you do, right? Just, just do me a favor, put it in the chat. When you go into an appointment for a listing, what's the first thing you do? Knock on the door, ring the doorbell. They open the door. What do you do? And then what happens afterwards? What does the seller always ask? So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to praise them on how gorgeous their home is. Oh my God. I love what you've done with this house. It's amazing. Oh my God. The front door is like, uh, it's the perfect color. Oh, I hate it. My ex-wife picked it. Oh yeah. What I meant to say is the perfect color to paint over, but it's actually grown on me. Exactly. I mean, why would anybody want to paint this pink fuchsia door any other color? Well, I don't know if it's really good for resale. Oh, you're right. Don't you worry. I will help you with that. First off, you're just blurting out li like lies left and right, right? You're just telling them how great everything is. Why? Because somebody told you to do that. Praise the hoe. Second thing you do, come on, don't lie. Seller's going to ask you what? Put it in the chat. I know what the seller's going to ask you. They're going to ask you one of two questions, but they're probably going to ask you this one first. Well, uh, would you like to go for a tour of the home? And you're going to come back with, of course we do, because that's what we're here for. And then you're going to follow them around the home and you're going to try to build rapport. You're going to try to build value for yourself. You're going to try to get to know the prospect. You're going to try to do all these things. You're going to try to do all these things while you're looking at the back of their head. And they're trying to shove the clothes into the closet because they forgot you were coming over. And they're trying to, they're trying to take all the stuff off the counters right? So the wife's giving you a tour, the husband's cleaning the bathroom, then they swap. The, the wife goes and runs ahead of you, tries, you're trying to build rapport with people trying to clean their house so that you don't judge them. And then you sit down at the table, you finish the tour. And what do they say? Well, what did you come on, fill it in? What'd you think? What's my home worth? And you're already starting from a place of defense. Most of you were probably taught, Hey, when you do your qualifying call, Ask them what they're thinking their home value is. It's true because I've done that before. Hey, when you're doing your qualifying call, ask them what you think their home value is. Now, why would we want to know what their perception is? Oh, because we can get the comps, Vic, to justify the answer. But I thought you were the trusted advisor. Well, yeah, we are, but we can't, we can't get our foot in the door and then get a price reduction if we don't get the listing in the first place. But isn't it? bad to overprice the home and lose out on all that initial excitement and then drop the price like three months later when they're, everybody's burnt out. Well, yeah, that's the better way to, but Vic, they're not going to listen to us. Right. Because you're telling them instead of sharing with them, the facts you're telling them like a teacher tells a student versus it being a two-way conversation. If you can show them instead of tell them things change, but you weren't taught that. And I understand it. It's not your fault, but it is your problem, as my mentor says. It's not your fault that you weren't taught these things. 
It is your problem though, because 30 days in, 45 days in, 60 days in, what does the seller say? Hey, where's all the activity? Why is my house not sold? Well, you know, it's the price. It's the price. Yeah. Well, you, you priced it this way. Well, remember our conversation where we talked about, you know, there's event pricing and then there's this type of pricing. And then there's this, and we told you that if you price it here, you're going to get less exposure. Yeah. We don't care, Vikram. We, we don't remember that. You said you could sell our house for this amount. You said you could sell our house for this amount. You guys, you're, you're the enemy, number one, no matter what you do. The goal here is to get the skills necessary so that you can have conversations with your prospect that actually get them to want to move forward with you. That's the goal is how do you connect to their emotional pain and then help them logically make the best decision possible for their situation? Or maybe the best situation is no decision. Stay put. Don't do anything. Oh, but Vic, I need now clients. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. We need the now clients. So it means we, even though this might not be the best thing for them, we're going to tell them that this is what they should do. And remember, you're the trusted advisor. You told me you wanted to be their trusted advisor. Are you acting in a trustworthy way? Probably not. And it's, again, it's not your fault you weren't taught these things, but it is your responsibility. It is our responsibility at the end of the day to make sure that our bank accounts can maintain the lifestyle we want and our family wants. It's our responsibility to make sure that we are not causing stress on other people in our households because of our financial state. It's our responsibility to get the skills necessary so that the marketing you do do is effective instead of blaming the leads because I could put money on it if I gave those same leads that you couldn't convert to the top agent in your office, one, they would find out that a lot of those people have already transacted with another agent. And second thing they'll find out is that there's still money in those old dead leads, those, I don't want to work with you, those, I'm not a now buyer people. So the question is, is why are they not working with you? And what are you doing to cause that resistance? <laughs>